is fit to receive. In beginning to approach the spiritual life, it is obviously necessary to consider the totality of our life, the various major fields of activity within our life, and in the consideration, reflection, and meditation upon, gradually we come to some resolution, some understanding of these primary activities. An understanding in our relationship to the world and, and to others, which, not to a total degree of course, but to some degree, allows us inwardly, psychologically, to put aside those, those activities. But putting aside, not so much in terms of a rejection or a ignoring, but rather the understanding those primary activities can and will take, take care of themselves. That kind of understanding in life, in which we've looked outwardly initially at, at some of the realities of our life, we've seen and observed the unfoldment of our existence and our relationship to it. And through that, through that observation, we established a certain relationship with each other, with work, with various fields of interest. And having established that firmly and clearly inside of oneself, it gives us a growing capacity and opportunity to see more, more deeply into life. Some of those activities which arise in our mind, which come up again and again through feeling and through thought, through emotion, of course is the mind's intimation when there's constant repetition that there is some necessity for some, some resolution to be made, some action or non-action, in which one again can come to some kind of clarity. And further, in looking again at our various mind states which are taking place, we have given and are giving a certain amount of care and attention to them. Not only, of, of course, to the more gross forms of mind states, the greed, the anger, the, the pride, the fears, the confusion, the anxiousness, and so forth, but also, as we look more carefully, and certainly more, more subtle, at a more subtle level, at all those things which go on inside of ourselves, which so often we don't pick up on, we don't recognize, as it were, as a, a fuel for the, for the more gross forms of mind state. And we become, as we become to, come to more refined levels 
and more subtle levels, we become more aware of those forms of mental action and, and the processes of them. And, and that those kind of, the more subtle forms in terms of our, of our being, being judgmental, of, of our comparing, of the various ways in our life and in numerous circumstances in which we tend to uphold and cherish certain views and opinions. And in all of that activity, we begin to see that a little bit more clearly. And so, as it were, in that very process of going from gross to subtle, in going from the outer to the inner, we're actually moving, and sometimes perhaps we're not sufficiently aware of it, we're actually moving to deeper and more refined levels inside of ourselves. This movement to more refined levels inside of ourselves expresses and shows itself in a growing and greater capacity in life to, to be more conscious, to be more alert, to be in one's own action and movement and observation more decisive. We often don't realise and appreciate in life that when, there is, when we are in, so to speak, the upper levels of our mind, we often don't realise that the, the swinging, the confusion, the endless number of choices that we, that we come up, which we feel I could do this, or maybe I could do that, has nothing really to do with the real, the real issue that the real ends, the real interests that we have, but rather those kind of possibilities and opportunities and decisions which are to be made are really simply related to the fact that our mind is unsettled. And one notices in life that in the settling in of, of our mind, in the stabilising of our mind, so much which one rather took for granted, like, I can do this, I can do that, I can go here, I can go there, etc., etc. So much of that is reduced, is, one might say, effectively cancelled out in that inner journey in which what gradually is coming to the forefront in one's being is stability. In other words, the stabilising of the mind tends to reduce, to an enormous degree, all the things that we could or couldn't do, should or shouldn't do. And in that kind of stabilising of the mind, we notice, and through that, and the, particularly the, the very subtleties of all that that means, that our perceptions also begin to change. The perceptions begin to change, not in terms of highs and lows, not in terms of special experiences and so forth, but rather the kind of perceptions are, we begin to find in ourselves a certain alteration in values. Not which ones which have, one has deliberately d decided to uphold and cherish, but rather seem to be, as it were, part of the fruit of looking, observing, 
being with and therefore coming to greater um, calmness, um, stability, equanimity of mind. The, va- the values in which so often, for example, we tend to indulge in the past and, and in, in all of that indulgence and in that clinging to memory, when all of that old mind stuff comes up into our present moment, it simply seems to have the effect of, of, of constipating our, our very, very mind in the present. And in a rather the same way, the endless production of future thought and images, so much of which in us goes unquestioned, all, all of that helps once again to reduce again the mind which seesaws from one side to the other, from past to future, from future to past. But easily, out, out of that, out of the deepening of our relationship to life, easily, of course, certain views and opinions can, can form, the views and opinions which are, um, are that there's no past and there's, there's no future, that there's um, an eternal now or, or, or something like that. And all, really all of that expresses rather a misunderstanding that we have. And so when we tend to formulate again, out of our observation, yet one more ideology, rather than seeing just very simply that the present is, is, a, is a point in time, it is related to, to the past, and what we refer to as the future has a direct bearing and relationship to the present. And, and in that, as it were, having some, a more direct relationship to the present. This directing of our, of our relationship to the present is, is one in which we begin to see and observe more clearly. And it is, as it were, that there isn't a denial of past and future taking place, but the present itself becomes more central in our life. This centering ourselves in the present has more significant, a, a greater significant meaning, a more significant meaning than what we appreciate. We notice and observe that the, ver- the various mind states which are, which are brought up and which begin to dominate us, that a great deal of effort goes into somehow being free from all of that. And that effort to be actually free, free from all of that, one might conclude or, or feel, of course that's an, a major aspect of the practice. The, the work towards being free of that is not to make that so much an end in itself. And what happens, of course, that because of our conditioning, we are faced with so much in the way of mental difficulty, from just being attentive and, and, and calm and, and stable, to all the mental activity that takes place. We have so much difficulty in this area that, of course, that becomes our major priority. And in, and, that, and, in, and in that becoming our major priority, we can easily lose sight of the deeper aspects, the deeper significance of what 
the inner life is all about. And we find too, of course, that one of the major problems and, <coughs> and uh, is that it's that somehow or other, sometimes we, we, we feel or we conclude that in our relationship to these various mental states which are, which are arising, that somehow it's a life-denying act by, by our stepping back from it. It's a life-denying act by being less involved with, with the total dynamic, not only of the world around us, the sights and the sounds and, and the beauty and the ugliness of the world, but also correspondingly, it seems to be similarly we feel when we're actually engaged in observation and that bear attention to, to ourselves. And rather, rather in that, it does seem and appear to us that stepping back is, to some degree or other, an alienating process. Alienating ourselves really from what we're familiar with, our mind, our body, our makeup, our conditioning, all that, as it were, is, appears to be representative of what I am. And in, the, in, our, in our, the further that we, that we are in a state of stepping back, it is really towards, and what we're perhaps forgetful of, towards seeing more clearly. It is a little bit like, to use an analogy, if one has the palm of one's hand very close to one's, one's eyes, all that we see is that. And if it is so close to our eyes, the palm of our hand, we can't even see that clearly. And we feel oppressed by it, we feel pressured by it, we feel that we're in darkness and so forth. And the actual stepping back allows us, of course, to see the hand more clearly. And it, just in the same way in life, towards uh, the manufacturing which is taking place often, of course, quite independently of our wishes with regard to our mental state. The stepping back, in other words, has several important factors to it. One of the factors which is important for us in our, in our stepping back is, of course, that we can see the reality, the fact, more clearly, more comprehensively. But the the peculiarity of that in life is, and what is such, in meditation practice, such a hard lesson for us to learn and to realize, is that in any other, most other areas of life, if you really decide you want something, being, being reasonable, and you have that particular end in mind, and you've got certain things access to certain things. You've got the energy, the drive, the ambition, the discipline, the, 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 the knowledge, the know-how, the resources, etc. And you say, that in life I want. And you strive and you push and you, and you shoulder your way through, through life towards that. The chances are, given time anyway, that one will, re one will arrive at that very, very desirable end. And striving and pushing and struggling and ambition with all the other resources which are necessary can bring one to that. And there's only, perhaps there's only one major area of life 
where that principle doesn't apply. <laughs> Here. <laughs> and so what we see and observe is that in our effort to reach somewhere which is frankly nebulous and that in the... <laughs> In this gigantic effort which goes on to reach, reach somewhere, the very pushing and striving itself, as has often been mentioned here, is a self-defeating process. It is impossible. It is impossible because the forcing and the willpower for one thing comes from in and goes out. And that itself, the very action of that, creates certain mind states. It produces certain certain mental activity and, and when there is that excess of that forcing of course it creates greater upheaval and so what one experiences as the fruit of forcing and striving and, and pushing is the exact opposite to all that one would wish for and, and what one sees that, therefore that in order to go more deeply into ourselves and therefore into the nature of existence itself. In order for that to be possible, it's really, initially, a major change around. A major change around in, the all, in our, our rather fundamental ideas about getting anywhere. The old, as it were, way of approach is, is not accessible to the depth. It is just simply not accessible. One can use forcing and striving and power and effort with a particular spiritual end in mind and a label and so forth which might be encouraged. And the urgency and the pressure of that can produce an experience. It can produce some event in the mind which is so remarkably different from all that one knows. And out of that induced event, simply because one desires it so much, one can then affix a mental label to it and conclude, I have arrived. <laughs> in some way or other, I have gotten something in some way or other. And then, of course, comes one, one effort after another to try to get back or to re-induce that form of experience. But I wonder if that kind of upheaval in the mind is what depth is all about. So one of the factors therefore in our in our in our observation in, in, in the in, in coming to the deeper in the meditative meditative life is seeing the use of willpower and force and striving, seeing how that itself produces either immediately or on a long-term basis certain mental states. But also for in this um, stepping back and in, and in the, the looking, another factor which is also important in our relationship 
to our mind, to our mental activity, that in stepping back, just as in stepping back from the palm of the hand, that one also can see more around it. So the stepping back, that, that may, the word may, may be observation, or equanimity, or detachment, or witnessing, whatever concept seems appropriate. In other words, when we step back from the palm of the hand, which is so close, we s- not only do we see the hand more clearly, but we see around it more clearly. And we move back a little bit further, and we see a little bit more clearly. And so, what is happening is that when we are so close to something, our life and our world becomes our mental state. The manufacturing of images become our reality. And there's the inability or the lack of access to seeing that in relationship to this. That, therefore, that actual stepping back itself is one of seeing more clearly and finding a balanced relationship between this and what else is in life. And sometimes, for some of us, the prejudice or the bias of mind is in very clear, particular areas. For some it may be in the emotions, the the emotional life is is to the excess, for another it's in conceptual, cerebral, analytical, uh, kind of mental activity, for another it's with regard to, to the body, for another it's with regard to certain ends, or whatever. And at times, of course, for us, we see that that varies. And in order to, go to, again, to go deeper on that, if we see and notice particular areas which are very much outstanding, therefore lack of perspective, lack of right relationship, those areas need to be given some attention to, simply so that the depth of being, or depth into our being, can take place. This, again, this coming into greater depth in in our being is a certain removal or detachment in those times from what we are familiar with. And and, and our mind responds, I I know when I'm calm, I know when I'm clear, I know when I'm wavering, I know when I'm indecisive, I know when I'm confused, I know when I'm content, etc., etc. And we we see that, and there are certain aspects of our mental state which, which we know. We may not know the resolution, we may not know how is one going to be free of this, what are the tools, what, what, do I, what, what is necessary to be done, but we know, so to speak, the fact of our mental state. And that, that, that know, therefore, in our coming to a detach, in a great state of detachment, we are, to some degree, seeing more clearly, and what we know is all which we are familiar with. No matter how unexpected a mind state is, no, ma- no matter what sort of mind state it is, so in all of that there's a certain familiarity. No matter what it is, there's a certain familiarity, because the familiarity of it is in relationship to our past. And the mind, in its movement, and its expression, and its manifestation, must bear in the present some causal, dependently, origin, uh, dependently arising 
arise dependently in some way or other to the past. And what one, <coughs> what one sees, again, in our relationship to that, that so, so often when we are in that relationship and when, and when our effort is given to being free from, to getting rid of, to stopping, to letting, letting go, or whatever kind of words that we use internally, in, in that very effort, it is also blinding. Effort, by its, charac- by its character, and it's such one of the hard lessons to learn in the spiritual life, that effort, by its very character, tends to, to close us off from. The very forcing and willing and, and trying, even with the very best of intentions, tends to stop us from other factors. What is actually happening, of course, is that in our observation, there's a certain detachment there. So in other words, we have taken, so to speak, a certain step back from something, and in that stepping back from something, correspondingly, simultaneously, any step back towards something is a step forward to something. And, and one might say, it is at this juncture that this pivoting, this point, this point of balance, this, this central point, that one becomes fit to receive. Those concepts, fit to receive, if I may say, is uh, something that uh, that remarkable man Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel. It is this standing back and, it, and from that, being fit to receive. And one of the aspects of our blindness is, because of effort, because of good intention in the spiritual life, that we can't even recognize and see and appreciate what we're receiving already. Not only are we blinded to the, the real depths of the spiritual life, but we can't see what is showing itself at that time. And it's in that I- and that is due to a number of factors, but one of them is simply the preoccupation with the mental state. The preoccupation, not only which shows itself with our troublesome mental state, but the preoccupation which shows itself with the ones which we appreciate. That in our spiritual practice, and there are pe- periods and times when one feels calm and settled and, 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 and clear, and, and the consciousness and the content of consciousness isn't disturbing and threatening. And one just feels a certain well-being and calmness and all of that, as it were, is the content of consciousness. And in that relationship of consciousness to its content, we become infatuated. And that becomes a primary interest of ours. And in that primary interest, we ignore and or miss or don't see all else that's going on in a single moment. And just for example, in the very giving and the paying of, of attention, in the application of, of mindfulness, so much more is coming and is being made available to us from the deep. 
interest, sincerity, the willingness to learn, the concern about seeing, an affection, an appreciation of what, of what one is doing. All of those kind, kind of factors are actually, in the very moment of um, g- giving attention, in, in, as it were, in the spiritual life, all of that, the intimations of that, at that time, are actually touching us, reaching us. And beca- but because of the involvement in the, conscious, the content of consciousness, we fail to appreciate and recognize and see what else is happening. And that learning and that me finding out what it is to see what else is happening, the quality of our actual mental states in terms of the preoccupation with the object, that gets reduced. So in other words, all that is familiar to us mind, its movement, its fashion, its formation, all of that begins to take second place. In that taking second place, clarity or calmness and a sense of well-being come more into the foreground. And in that coming, coming more into the foreground, in the present, we are effectively removed at that time from what we know. We're effectively moved from what we're familiar with, from what we've, what we've spent our entire life involved in. Here, this, this, to say it again, this place, the discovery of, of this place is the, the standing point, one might say, in which the human being becomes fit to receive. What does that, what does that mean? Any kind from the external of formulation, any, any kind of input can do nothing more, in other words, than kind of indicate, in a certain way, that kind of direction. And many things outwardly formal meditation, practice, service. Um, And also in some situations where the consciousness is very responsive, even various forms of, of, of religious ceremony and ritual, and, and, and that whole field, particularly when there's a person who is utterly sensitive and, and, and caring, and, 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 and pure, in, pure in mind, all the outer aids, meditation, reflection, service, ritual, and so forth, all of that can help to, pr- to be a catalyst, so to speak, for finding that kind of mental well-being which allows one to step back, which in turn allows one to be in a position of receiving. And this position, this one of being in a, in a position of receiving, it is at that point, and really at that point alone, that we can say, of, we can speak 
of the human being being in a state of innocence. Innocence in life is, is a discovery and the, a primary mode of it, that state of innocence is that there is no interest to harm. Innocence has nothing to do, of course, with age and children and so on and so forth. It is to do with a, with a state of the purity of consciousness which is there in a state of unknowingness and has no wish to harm. In that, in that very state, one waits. At this point, one may wonder, one may ask of oneself, in that state in which there is the repose of consciousness, in which one is in a, in a, in a state of abeyance, is there anything that one can do? What, 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 what happens to us that for those who have followed the way seriously and, 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 and lovingly and, 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 and diligently, what, 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 what in that consciousness, as it comes to that state of inner repose, what follows? And again, according to the deeper inter intimations of mind, it is not that the consciousness, as it were, just in that state of repose, in that state of balance, of innocence, of, of utterly unknowing, it's not that the consciousness at the time just stays there and then, as it were, turns in on itself or, or becomes uh, stuck, but the deeper intimations of the mind begin to express. And that the touch and the, uh, the, the influence of that is not in any way that it applies in the same way to each person, but rather the deeper intimations begin to move the consciousness in another way altogether. This way that the consciousness begins to move and evolve, that, that inner direction, that it begins to be drawn to, that, that direction which it begins to be drawn to is utterly without effort. No, no, no effort no matter how willing and, uh, and well-motivated, etc., cannot uh, be present. For it to be present, it will pervert the innocence and the consciousness because the, the effort will create a goal. It will create some desirable end. And consciousness, for it to, to evolve to what uh, is being referred to here, it must go without effort. It must find its own course in that unknown. That course which it finds in, in that un uh, uh, unknown is not the same, as I've mentioned, from one person to another. That course that it may, t may take may be in a devotional sense not in the devotional sense which is in any way outer to a, a real or mythical or mind-created figure, 
but rather a devotion in which there is the movement, as it were, and the sense of something and the touch of something. And as it, as it were, there is a connection between consciousness and the subtle and pure intimations of something else altogether. And of course, at this kind of juncture, in this kind of clear and inner seeing, thought has long been left behind. In that turning in, in that in that that inner movement, movement in which the consciousness itself is is actually opening up, the consciousness in its relationship to life begins to manifest and express things which were previously unattainable. It begins to manifest and express things in movement, in creativity, in thought, in expression, in observation, in, in, in every facet of the foreground of one's life begins to manifest out of that innocence, affecting every area of one's existence, and, and, and including one's perception. And of course, consciousness being something which can move and does move at times in that depth experiences the intimation of that, and at times there's loss of access. And one becomes to see more and more clearly in, that, in the nature of consciousness where there is that access and where there has been the kind of movement from condition, from a pattern, from, from effort or whatever, which in which there is a, a movement away from. And, one's, and therefore one's experience within the depth and the richness of the, of the inner life, that one begins to recognize where at times and in situations and in meditations where the consciousness is. One knows through the relativity of what is happening psychologically, physically, mentally, spiritually, and that state of purity and innocence. In that coming, t again, in that coming, coming to, to depth, more and more in the very world of which we partake also comes to be revealed. The, the seeing, as I mentioned, expands, it, expands itself correspondingly inwardly and outwardly. And in all, of, in all of that, what was previously unknown becomes known. And when something which is unknown becomes known in life, it moves to the foreground of consciousness, one sees it clearly. Love, compassion, affection, insight, peace, joy. The intimations of that coming through what is unknown becomes known. And in that one again sees, appreciates, and the returning to the innocence and that unknown. And in, in that un, unknown, in which that which is, of true, which is truly beautiful in life, truly makes life, truly reveals the depth of life, 
in that state of innocence there's a mystery there is a mystery and that 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 mystery which is there is such that our words and our formulations and any kind of direction toward can never actually reveal it can, it, can, it can never be such that that mystery is converted into something which is familiar which is something which can come into the unknown from the unknown and become and become something it is not possible and that, that very that very mystery which is there being with that, that mystery means that the consciousness itself undergoes change it undergoes change that even when one is close to the depths of that mis- mystery that the relationship of consciousness and that which is cemented through love which is the child of that mystery affection which is the child of that mystery devotion which is the child of that mystery even that undergoes transformation not that the mystery itself disappears not that the unknown ever becomes the known because it cannot be converted into language and into words but in, but in, that, in, that, in that depth of being that mystery is its own blessedness which reveals and shows to us everything just everything beings see into life. May all beings discover that state of innocence. May all beings be in touch with the intimations of the unknown. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.